This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Kaur, and I'm white. And this is the best of colors 2020. Coming up in this episode of Colors. Chris and I choose several episodes that resonated one way or another with us during the course of us doing this podcast so far. We've done 28 episodes. So we're going to do on this last show of 2020, a show looking back at our favorite episodes so far. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Best of Colors 2020. One of my favorites from the 20 some that we've done so far on Colors is with sports writer Christine Brennan. First of all, leaders should lead. And if you're a leader, you should make a decision whether or not you have to put your finger up and test which way the wind is going. And you know what? Here I am, a a white suburban (laughs) kid uh, from Toledo, Ohio suburbs. Um, I'm offended. I will say that. I am offended on behalf of, of millions of uh, my fellow Americans, um, that, that the tomahawk chop exists, that the Washington NFL team name exists. And so uh, there should be plenty of us who are offended uh, by, these, by these racist symbols that just need to go. The reason I picked this as one of my favorites is because, well, frankly, Christine Brennan is one of my favorites. I've known her for a long time. She's a first-class journalist. And a great writer, very articulate, and I think that um, what she says in this is very frank, and it's just all Christine. So I want, I, I like this one a lot. The other thing is she made a prediction in this, which came true shortly after this podcast was aired. Um, I mean, it's so funny because I asked her about, so when is Dan Snyder going to change the name of the football team? And she said, well, he's going to change it sooner or later. Well, it turns out sooner was the right answer. Because shortly after we did this podcast, the name of the team changed. It was 2013. I wrote a column saying I didn't want to use the name anymore. I would not use the name anymore. So I called them the Washington NFL team or or something like that, which is hard to do, especially being in D.C. to to, you know, there have been times I've had. Oh, I almost said it. And um and I'm not making light of it, I, but it, you do have to make fun of yourself sometimes because, as you know, of course, I covered the team uh, for the Washington Post back in the 80s when they actually won games and won Super Bowls and uh, 85, <laughs> 86 and 80, 87. And um, and I said I said the name you know, thousands of times. It tripped off my tongue, of course, you know, and, and you didn't think about it. And so it was 2013. It started to become an issue. I think people started to focus on it. Native Americans were discussing it, uh, were being interviewed and, and quoted, and and we started to hear their voices in a way we hadn't before. And so that's when I, that's when I did it. And uh, but now, absolutely, I think you know, I think it's inevitable. Let's say it that way. It's inevitable that the name will change. 
Uh, Dan Snyder, I don't think, wants it to change. Obviously, he told my colleague Eric Brady at USA Today several years ago, he said, never, all caps, use caps, never would he change the name. I think what's going to end up happening, though, is because of, of where we are uh, as a society and having these important conversations, uh, Mayor Muriel Bowser has never been more popular and, and more powerful. Yeah. And so she really controls this because there's, she has said she wants the name to change. So if Dan Snyder wants the stadium back in the district, which I think he does, you know, he's got to go through Muriel Bowser and, and there's no way she or the D.C. Council will let him come into this into the district without um, without changing that racist name. The first podcast I'd like to choose and look back on, not because it's my favorite per se, but it, I believe, is the most important one we did. And the reasons are self-explanatory. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. On each episode of the Colors podcast, we're going to speak candidly with each other and ask questions of each other, some of which may be difficult from time to time, and we'll answer your questions too. And we'll have guests as well. The objective here is to create a judgment-free forum to discuss race in America. Now, we begin our discussion. This is Chris Kaur. I'm the white guy. About uh, 30 years ago or so, my friend J.J. Green and I did a program on a local Washington radio station called Black and White. It came about after the Rodney King beatings in Los Angeles, and we found ourselves having interesting discussions about race. And we finally decided, you know, as interesting as this is in the office, it might make a pretty good radio show. So we put it on the air and we're back doing it again because, uh, well, the times call for it. So that's where we are right now, JJ. That's right, Chris. And uh, I just want to say, first of all, obviously, I'm black and it's been a long time. And I'm happy that we've finally been able to do this. I know we've talked about it before. And the time just didn't seem to be right. But it seemed to me, Chris, that we really didn't have any more time. We need to talk about this. So who better than us, huh? Uh, well, we'll find out. Let's give it a shot. You know, it's funny. You said that now is the time. And Governor Northam of Virginia said now is the time to remove the statue of Robert E. Lee in downtown Richmond. I've never discussed this with you before. And I really don't have a position on it. But I am curious you are from Virginia, not that far from Richmond. I'm sure you've been past that statue many times in your life. Um, it, do, how do you feel about their taking down the statue? Is it important? Does it matter? Um, can, tell me what you feel about that, because I'm really curious to know. Well, it's not going to fix anything um, that has led up to this. What it does do is it addresses the lingering uh, agony that African-Americans and, and people of other other colors as well associate with that statue, with the Confederacy um, and with Virginia and certainly as an African-American, um, the whole connection to slavery. And this statue of Robert E. Lee is a reminder of that. Next up is episode number seven. We both agree that this is one of our favorite episodes because it featured my longtime friend and fellow church member, Ernie Green, of the Little Rock Nine. And Chris also had his own reasons for making Ernie Green and this podcast one of his favorites because of a situation that took place when Chris was a little boy. 
I choose the podcast we did with Ernie Green simply because um, what are the chances that a white boy from Iowa is ever going to have a chance to talk with Ernie Green? One of the Little Rock Nine. When I was a little kid, I remember distinctly seeing this on television when these kids, not much older than I, were going into Little Rock High School surrounded by National Guard. And I just remember the thinking, I mean, that takes guts. It's hard enough to go to middle school, junior high school, as we called it then, and high school, much less to have the student body just hate you and want to spit at you and think you're terrible because of, in this case, the color of your skin. And yet, those kids were brave enough to go, graduate from that high school, and set an example for the rest of the country. So, because I got a chance on this podcast, and thank you to your connection, JJ, to meet the great Ernie Green, this is, without doubt, one of my very favorites. And my hope is that uh, as we tackle one issue, we move on to the next and the next. And uh, at some point, uh, we, we have enough that we've done that uh, people will say that we're, we're making some real headway in progress. Well, if so, you helped start it, and it's been a, a, one of the honors of my life to uh, be able to talk with you. So thank you for everything you've done to help inspire me and, and, and others of my generation. It's a, been a great pleasure. Well, thank you. Enjoy doing it. And, and uh, you know, Congressman Lewis says it best that you can't quit. You know, you got to be willing to stir the pot and uh, and uh, make make a, make a good mess, <laughs> not just get in trouble, but you know, good trouble. So, uh, I think we ought to commit ourselves to increasing good trouble. Next on my list is episode 8, and the reason for it, and it may actually be my favorite of all of them, and the reason for it is because 30 years ago, Chris and I did a program called Black and White, which he mentioned earlier in this program. It was a radio show. One of the people on that show at the time was Rick Walker, who was a former member of the Washington football team, won a Super Bowl uh, with that team. But he also was our colleague. We worked together at WMAL Radio. He was doing a sports show, and of course we were doing news, and Chris was hosting. Chris and I had Rick on our show one day. And at the end of the show, Rick said to me, you know, you guys are doing a great job here with this. You're doing great work, but you need to do it further. You need to go further. What you need to do is you need to have a show, and you need to call it Colors. That was 30 years ago. It took us 28 years, actually, to be accurate, precise about it, to get to the point where we're doing this. And that's a part of the reason why getting him on colors was important. The thing that the pandemic, there have been a lot of negatives. But the positive is that it has allowed a lot of white Americans who didn't have a reason to focus on it before because 
if it doesn't affect your life, why would you invest time into it? You really don't. I've never been disappointed in a white person who didn't feel it. They have no reason to. But now, in because the, there's nothing else to do, and there's no sports on TV, and very the programming is terrible. Now people have paid attention. George Floyd's graphic display of let me live form of racism is brutality. And you see it on national television. Not that we haven't seen it before. As I let my listeners know, don't act like you hadn't seen this before. Rodney King was nearly beaten to death 30 years ago and nothing happened. And there have been four murders since George Floyd. So I, I'm really, really sensitive. When it comes to this, we've been given a lot of crap. And so what it's got to do is we have younger people who aren't as racist by nature. Our millennials, I'm proud of them. I got three of them. And they have marched in unity and opened this up. People my age or whatever, stick a fork in them for the most part. But this next generation is open to change. The rest of the country for my is just full of crap. I really like the interview we did with the Sergeant Major. Um, and the reason I liked it is because of the unusual story that when asked to put down race, he didn't know what to put down because he was half black and half white. I've had this question on the form forever. And when I first came in the Army 32 years ago, you couldn't do multiple checks. You had a choice. And which one were you going to be today? You were hmm. black or white? Um, and that's what I meant is I kind of struggled. So in the beginning of my career, I, you know, I put Caucasian and then I was very proud when I could identify with all parts of me. And since I couldn't click two, you know, at one point I put black. So, uh, <laughs> and then, and then, you know, I would be questioned about that. Uh, and it, you know, I was very proud that I identified with all parts of me, not just, you know, one, this side or that side. And uh, so I struggled with that form. And because you didn't have multiple blocks, um, I struggled with it. that was part of the struggle that I was talking about earlier. But now fast forward to now, you know, there's multiple blocks, but, I, you know, I chose to, you know, put black on there. And, um, you know, the lady looked at me and was like, that, you know, that's not funny. I was like, yeah, no, it's not funny. And I said, uh, you know, my mom's white, my dad's black. What would you like me to put? <laughs> and she goes, I was a little snark, sarcastic with it, but she goes, we'll put other. Oh. Um, so, um, yeah. you know, as you know, well, I didn't tell you, but that was a uh, African-American that did that to me. So mm. um, that's a little, you know, for me, that was disappointing. Um, but it was that form. I agree with you, Chris, is, you know, I just I think we should. We just we got to. I struggle with that because, too, we, we also have to identify and somehow we have to know, are we doing something? So how do we measure as a military that maybe we're not as diverse or equitable as we should be? One of our most listened to episodes and one of the most important was the one that we did with Dr. Anthony Fauci. We talked with him about the impact of COVID-19 on minorities, especially blacks and Latinos, black and brown people. 
Blacks are two and a half times more likely to get COVID-19 than whites in Pinellas County. And the question is, why is that? JJ, there, there are two elements that, that need to be clarified for people. One, the likelihood that African-Americans will get infected versus whites or others. And importantly, when and if they do get infected, the likelihood of their getting a serious outcome more so than whites? And the answer is, unfortunately, yes to both. Because African-Americans, you'd never like to generalize, but it is true. As a demographic group, as a whole, obviously with many exceptions, but as a demographic group, their jobs that they have are generally more put them out there interacting, sometimes without having the easy capability of physically separating, as opposed to me and you talking through a computer, that as a demographic group, they are at higher risk of actually acquiring infection. That's point number one. Once they get infected because of the social determinants of health that are decades and decades and decades ingrained, what happens is that they have a higher prevalence and incidence of those very comorbidities, which make it more likely that if they get infected, they will have a severe outcome. And that is diabetes, hypertension, obesity, heart disease, lung disease, kidney disease, the kinds of things that we have in society that are disproportionately and disparately more among the African-Americans. So I, I call it, JJ, almost a double whammy, a double disadvantage. A, the disadvantage of more likely getting infected because of the jobs and your position in society and the likelihood of getting a more severe outcome. This is the best of colors, 2020. Obviously the interview with uh, Motor Trend Magazine's uh, editor, Mark Recton, and with Gretchen Soren, um, well, it was my idea to do it, and I'm really glad that we did it. Motor Trend took a real chance because they devoted an episode to driving while black, and they knew they were going to get pushback from their readers, some of whom wrote in and said, well, we don't, we don't want to subscribe anymore. This is a car magazine. We don't want to hear about politics or racists or blah, 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 blah. And Recton knew it was going to happen. He did it anyway because he thought it was important. Motor Trend is more than just about cars. It's about car culture. And yes, we get readers who say, you know, stay out of politics, stick to cars. This is not politics. This is a human rights issue. And if people who read our publication are not able to enjoy the same joys of driving for the simple matter of the color of their skin, um, to me, that's something that must be brought to people's attention. And feedback we got, you know, obviously we live in a very polarized uh, society right now. There were plenty of people who did say stick to cars, stay out of politics. There was, you know, accusations of social justice posturing, um, whataboutism, um, you know, accusing us being anti-cop, which is patently untrue. We, we work with both LAPD and El Segundo PD to help identify cars used in, in felonies, um, as well as a lot of get over it. This happened 50 years ago not really understanding that this is still happening today. Um, on the flip side though, we did get a lot of letters of support 
Um, a lot of people saying, I had no idea this was happening back then. I had no idea this is still happening now in these very subtle and also very straightforward ways. So this was something that we felt we had to do. This wasn't, this wasn't brave on our part. This was something that just had to be done. And Gretchen Soren, who wrote the story, uh, basically told us the story of the Green Book. I was fascinated by um, a book, a little booklet that a, a colleague of mine showed me about 20 years about 20 years ago called The Negro Motorist Green Book. I was just fascinated by it and I wanted to do some research on it. And at the time I was working on my PhD and I thought, well, this would be a, an interesting topic to pursue. Um, and, and then the more I got into it, the deeper I, I, I got into it, the reason I wrote it was because I have two children who drive. And um, before they went out on the road, I, I really had to talk to them about how to be safe. Now, most of us have seen the movie, but this takes us a little deeper inside what it was like with the Green Book and the fact that African-Americans bought big cars because they never knew when they were going to get run into by somebody or, you know, get pushed around. They wanted comfortable cars because when they came into some towns, they might have to sleep in the cars. Uh, They wanted fast cars in case they needed to get out of town in a hurry. So a whole different perspective of what it was like driving, particularly back then in the 60s uh, in the South for black families and and how that relates to automobiles. So I thought that uh, that that was I'm not saying that's my top favorite might be, though, it was awfully, awfully good episode. We both chose five episodes as our favorites, and I ran into a bit of a problem because I have two that I rank equally. So for my fifth one, I just split them, and it is the interview with Sasa Akil, a 17-year-old. She was moved by George Floyd's murder to start a project called A Man Was Lynched Yesterday. The Man Was Lynched Yesterday project is a project that I started um, back in June. Um, well, actually, the very end of May, so like May 28th, um, when um, the news of George Floyd's uh, murder um, basically hit national news, and it was very, it was a very big deal, and it was very um, acutely painful um, for me and my family um, at the time, and I think for many people. Um, and if you were to ask today, I still think we wouldn't be able to say why. Um, but but his death really prompted me into doing something. Um, and I knew that I had to write out something that was true for myself um, because I am a writer and that helps me um, process. And so instead of just writing it down with a pen like I usually do, um, I decided that I would write it down on a linoleum block um, <laughs> because I had recently, like months before, learned how to block print. Um, and so... I did that. I wrote it out on my block um, and I printed it on paper. Um, and through that um, and through actually a suggestion from my aunt, um, this postcard campaign was born, um, which was the Amendments Lynch Yesterday project. And so mm-hmm. um, what happened was I uh, kind of announced to my followers uh, just on Instagram um, that I was giving away these postcards for free. Um, and I was asking them to write to their, uh, representatives, their, uh, elected officials, basically anyone they could think of, um, in any position of power, um, and tell them specifically that we have an issue with the death of George Floyd, but also that we just have an issue with the deaths of black people in America, um, and at the hands of police, um, and tell them that we, we want to change. Um, and that is the, the, basic beginning of the project, but it kind of grew into more. 
And then there is the one we did with Amara Walker. She's a CNN anchor and correspondent who found herself in Louis Armstrong Airport being harassed racially. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. Same day, all within one hour. I was headed back to Atlanta, so I was walking through the airport, and the first incident that happened was an older gentleman, as I was walking past him, stopped, looked at me, took off his mask, and said to me, Ni hao, ching chong. Within the next few minutes, a young man comes up to me um, without his mask on and Mm -hmm. says to me, do you speak English? (laughs) And I was already kind of rubbed up, so I got quite defensive. And I said, well, what makes you think I don't speak English? And then he started to, you know, make these funny noises. It sounded like he was trying to, you know, speak an Asian language. And then that's when I got upset. I told him, you know, to, to get away from me because, number one, he wasn't wearing a mask. Um, and he was loud enough that the people around me, um, there were two gentlemen who ended up standing up and asking him to leave to stop harassing me. Then my producer uh, walked away got security. And the third incident that happened is when the police officer arrived and he asked me what happened. I described what happened. And then um, my producer, who was just disturbed by everything, um, he's a white man. And I and he told me, gosh, I didn't know this is the kinds of things that you guys go through. Hmm. Um, and he was angry for me and said, you won't, you won't believe what happened. And they were yelling racial things at her. And um, the cop looked upset. He approached my producer face to face and raised his voice and said, that is not racist. If Just because someone asked her if she speaks English and made those noises, that does not make them racist. Do you understand me? So he, he said in a very uh, intimidating way. This is the best of colors 2020. And finally, one of my favorites is the second time we've talked to Michelle Singletary. Honestly, any time we talk to Michelle, it would be a great interview. Uh, She's the only guest we've had twice. But the second time she came around, the story she told about, I believe it was her great-great-grandmother, maybe it was her great-great-great-grandmother, who was was a a slave. slave, Leah Drumwright, in North Carolina. Uh, And it's a story that's been passed down um, to me from my grandmother because it Um, She always wanted us to remember how brutal slavery was. And so Leah worked in the plantation owner's home, um, free, she was a slave, um, cooking and cleaning and taking care of their children. And so there was an incident where she had delivered a child and the white owner, her white owner had delivered a child. And she was what they call back then the wet nurse. So she was ordered to nurse the white baby, but there were strict instructions. She could only nurse the white baby on her left breast and only her child on the right breast. And the reason she was given was that the right breast was closer to the heart, so the milk was better. The left left breast, you mean? The left breast, correct. And... um, And, and the best milk had to go to the white baby. Uh, and so yeah, one, tell, tell the story about what happened, because this is the part that 
Yeah, so one night, um, Leah, after working, you know, slaves work from sunup to sundown. They didn't get you no know, lunch breaks or anything. She was extremely tired, and so she was nursing her own child in the kitchen with the fire roaring, and she sort of fell asleep, as mothers do. I did it myself. You fall asleep, you switch the baby almost automatically. And she switched her own Black child to her own left breast. The white owner, uh, mother, came in, saw this. She... Um, slapped um, Leah so hard, nearly knocked her out the chair. And then she proceeded to um, beat her for forgetting um, that the left breast was only reserved for her white baby. Michelle Singletary, who, as far as we know, will be back a third time. Who knows? Because she's a wonderful guest. Her first episode was terrific, too, but the second one was really a gut punch. Um, so it makes my list of the five best we've done. You're listening to Colors. So as we conclude this best of episode, there are several things that I've taken away from doing this work so far. One, it's educational. Two, it's very inspiring. And three, it's cathartic. It really is. And what I've learned from this are two things. There is a lot of healing that we have to do as a nation. And secondly, there are many people with good intentions that have joined this effort to bring racial justice to the country. But the we is competing with the I. In other words, we're competing with ourselves. A lot of people want the exposure, but aren't willing to share it. That's one of the key issues when it comes to racial justice, sharing the variety of wealth that we have in this nation, whether it's money, exposure, experiences, history, and most of all, hope for the future. Those are the things that need to be shared. If we can all do that, then I believe our efforts will be successful. I don't know that there's one particular lesson I've learned above others from doing these 20-some podcasts, but the overall theme is that, yes, race relations are in a better place now than they were when I was a kid. And they are in a better place now than when I was a young man. And they are in a better place now than they were when I was middle-aged. However, we still have a long way to go, and honestly, there are some things I thought that we had settled years and years and years ago, which obviously we have not. The other thing is, because I've now moved to the South, I begin to see a little bit of what J.J. saw growing up in the South, and that is things like the Confederate battle flag and some other symbols that are not helpful being displayed. Whether people mean harm or not, it doesn't really make any difference, does it? So the lesson for me is that things are better, things are not perfect. we got a long way to go. Keep talking to each other, as we say every week. And let me just wish all of you a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and God willing, a much better 2021 than has been the case in 2020. So when I say Happy New Year, it has special meaning this year. Happy New Year to all of you. Couldn't have said it any better myself, my friend. Merry Christmas to you and yours. And let me just join Chris in wishing all of you a happy holiday season, whatever you celebrate, whether it's Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, 
however or whatever you celebrate this time of year, have a good time. And I do wish all of us a wonderful 2021. As we end this program and end the year, let me do what we have always done, and that is thank the people who've helped us to get here. We can't thank everyone who has sent us a message or has just said a kind word or has done something that's benefited the show. We can't thank all of those people because there are literally hundreds of people who have done those things throughout the about six months that we've been doing this. But in the process, there are some names that have been there from the very beginning and week in and week out, they've helped us. So we'd like to say thank you to those folks. And those folks are Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Dimitri Sotis, Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler, Greg Strassel, Hagar Chamali, Sean Anderson, Beth Gibbs. We'd like to thank Ann Corr, Tabitha Corr, Gina Baysmore. Thank you to Jared Ruderman, Craig Schwab. Thanks to Sam Millstone, Christian Bartolin. Thank you to Kathleen Floyd, Anjali Chong, Jamal Bowens. A big thank you to Audrey Henson. Thank you to Dorothy Gilliam, Ernie Green, James Brown, Christine Brennan, Steve Weish, Rick Walker, Robin Gavon, Roz Whitaker-Heck, Rose Varner-Gaskins, and Melissa Howell. And of course, for our music, we say thank you to the Winans, thank you to Twin Musica, Doug Maxwell, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Audio Nautics. And most of all, we thank you for listening. And as Chris said, remember, just keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. We'll pick up right where we left off this year with some insightful guests and some interesting conversations. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.